Welcome to another episode of Records Revisited, a podcast dedicated to the magic of music. I'm your DJ, your MC, the host on the East Coast. I'm Ben Montgomery. Joining me is my co-host from the left coast, the man who will remind me that two years ago when we first started this podcast, he was so much older then. He's younger than that now. Here's my co-host and the man I call Mr. Tambourine Man. Here's Wayne Fugate. Hola, Ben. I mean... So for this episode, we have a special guest. Her most recent record is called Prairie Love Letter, which we're going to talk about. So please welcome to the podcast, Brennan Lee. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on the show. Absolutely. Thanks for coming on. And I hope you don't mind this small diversion for a moment, Brennan. So we're celebrating our second anniversary of doing this podcast. Oh, happy anniversary. Thanks. It was uh, November 2018 when we launched this podcast to celebrate our favorite records. And um, so, happy anniversary, buddy. Oh, you too. Just seems like yesterday. I know. It does. Thanks for being my co-host for this crazy journey we're on. Uh, thanks for talking me into it. Yeah. All right. Enough self-congratulations. Um, let's get to it. So a premise of our podcast is fairly simple. We talk about music, but as we do at the beginning of each episode, I ask the all important question. Let's start with Wayne. What t-shirt are you wearing? I am wearing a fallout boy t-shirt, which doesn't really seem to connect to this in any way, but that is the shirt I'm wearing. All right. Perfect. How about you, Brennan? What t-shirt are you wearing? I'm wearing a, um, Carter family t-shirt. <laughs> Okay. Um, it's yeah. It's a drawing of the Carter family homestead. It was a gift from a friend. Love it. All right. Nice. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm not wearing anything related to the birds either. So I'm wearing my Prince Purple Rain T-shirt. Think I've worn that a couple times, Wayne. I have one too, and I haven't worn it. I would have been awesome if I'd worn it today. Yeah. Well, maybe yeah. we should. Um, Coordinate. Yeah, we should yeah. coordinate better. All right. Well, Brennan, I have to give a big kudos to your publicist, Sarah. So we were supposed to record last week with one of her clients who he had rescheduled on us three times. And um, she said, hey, I just chatted with one of my other clients and she'd be game to come on your podcast um, in his stead. And so here we are. Well, I hope whoever that is that I can do a way better job than he would have anyway. All right. Well, I'm going to say this. I'm going to put this on record. I like your record way more than his. So I'm kind of glad that he canceled. Um, I think everything just worked out the way it was supposed to work out. Well, good. Everything has a way of falling into place. And hopefully whatever his reason for rescheduling was, was, you know, he got to take care of that. So I, I hope so. I mean, one of the times I know it was because he had a gig and I don't, I don't typically say anything. If you've got a paying gig, look, I'm not paying you to come on my podcast. So, um, we're giving you some promotion, but we're not paying you. So if you've got a paying gig, I completely understand that. But like he, rescheduled on us three times so i was like yeah it's probably probably time we just say sayonara well thanks for having me absolutely so let's talk about new records so prairie love letter uh came out in september so what number record is this for you as a solo act this would be my sixth solo record because you're also a part of a few different groups correct yeah i've done a lot of collaborating Um, I collaborate a lot with a songwriter named Noel McKay and I've done a few records with him 
And I've also did a record with Jesse Dayton in 2007. Um, I used to be in a bluegrass band called High Plains Jamboree. And let's see, um, forgetting something. Oh, um, I'm, I've got this side project with two friends, Janae Fleener and Brandon Rickman called Antique Persuasion. And that's sort of a bluegrass thing. All right. All right. And so I'm, I'm reading through your bio it's, and it says that this album is more of a concept record produced by Robbie Folks. Right. So uh, it's a sort of a concept record about my home where I grew up, which is the line between Minnesota and North Dakota. So in the middle of nowhere. Right, basically. right. And and our kind of thinking was, I was writing all these songs. They were kind of just, because I've lived in the South for 18 years now. I've lived away from that area. And the, the songs were just kind of coming out because I was missing home. And, you know, you, you see home from a new perspective when you leave. And uh, yeah. I was time to make a record. And Robbie and I kind of decided together that, there was a nice theme here we could we could work with so we recorded half of it in chicago at steve albini's place uh, and that was nice. that was really cool and then um the part of it the rest of it we did it here in nashville over at uh with dave cinco at sound emporium so how did you get connected with robbie because he's kind of a legend in the old country circles right so i met him years ago at a at a sort of a jam at Jenny's little Longhorn Saloon in Austin, I used to li- okay. I used to live in Austin, and he was in town. Um, and I think we just like ended up singing or playing together that night. And then uh, I ended up being a guest on. He had a, he had a long time residency at this place called the Hideout in Chicago, and okay. so I ended up going through on tour and uh, did one of his Hideout nights, and we became friends over time. And I just really got to be a fan of his records, his last couple of records, most specifically, uh, Gone Away Backwards and Upland Stories. And Robbie said, well, if you like those, then we should maybe do A, B, and C and kind of go for a similar vibe um, for your recording. And yeah, he really got, he really kind of dive, dove headlong into the, the songwriting and, you know, that was part of the appeal of him as a producer was he's such a literary songwriter. And I yeah. just wanted to, I just, I've, I'm happy with how he was able to connect with the songs and how we kind of, we both just wanted to treat them with some, um, some gentleness and make sure they came through. And I think we succeeded. That's very cool. I got, I have kind of a weird way that I got turned on to Robbie's music. So about 15 years or so ago, um, I had I'd seen something in one of the periodicals, and, and it talked about how he w- he had done some work with Steve Albini, who you just mentioned. And of course, Wayne, you know who Steve Albini is, right? Absolutely. So engineered some pretty legendary records that Wayne and I love and adore. Nirvana, the Pixies, the Breeders, but Steve also does, well, Steve pretty much does whatever the heck Steve wants to do. (laughs) Like he's not genre um, concentrated, I I would say. And so I saw that he he had done some work with Robbie and I checked him out and I'm like, this guy's got these country sensibilities, but he's also, he's a little punky. Yeah. 
so I, so I, I dug him and I've been kind of, I, you know, I kind of pay attention to what, what he does. Um, I won't say that I'm, I've got a lot of his catalog stored on my playlist or anything, but you know, because I have listened to his stuff whenever he's got a new record on, you know, Spotify spits it out that, Hey, this is on your release radar. And so I'll check that out. So very cool. Yeah. All right. I don't know where I'm going with that. (laughs) Um, Long digression. All right. Let's talk your new, new record. So your lead track, um, which you also did a video for, is um, uh, Don't You Know I'm From Here? Yep. So how often do you get back to your birthplace? Um, maybe a few times a year. I mean, it's been a little different with COVID, but uh, I try. my folks still live there. So I try to go home at least once in the summer, sometimes at Christmas. Uh, it's really cold in the winter there. Yeah. Um, but I, li- I like to go home, you know, pretty. How long is that? A How long a drive is that from Nashville? From Nashville, it's like, you know, I've only done it from Nashville a few times because I've only lived here three years, but it's like 20 hours, okay. 20 hours, 18, gotcha. um, broken up into a day or two. From Texas, it was a longer, it seemed like a longer trip. Everything from Texas seems long. Yeah. <laughs> well, half your drive is Texas. Yeah. Because exactly. it's so big. If friends turns out I might need them again Don't you know I'm from here Don't you know I'm from here They didn't even crack a smile Don't you know I'm from here Though I've been gone for a while Maybe this little town looks better I, I'm assuming that that is also a song um, that is more of an homage to to your to your home, right? So it, it's kind of the a lot of the album sort of romanticizes that area and makes it um, put kind of looks at it through rosy glasses um, because it is a beautiful part of the country and it's I look back and romanticize it. It's got an innocence. It's got a um, I don't know, just it's got a charm that not everyone um, has seen. And so, but this first song, it's it's about coming home and no one re- no one recognizing you anymore because it's been too long. You know, you kind of expect things to be the same. And then going home and feeling alienated because you're no longer one of us. <laughs> right. I, I kind of get that whenever I go back to <laughs> Tacoma. <laughs> Wayne, uh, you know, I try and go back there at least once a year. This is the first year that I will not have gone back at all. And, um, I'm actually kind of missing it a little bit. How long have you been gone? Uh, 20 years. I married a girl from Florida and the rest is history. So, um, been down here ever since. Billy and Bo. So that's not really a topic that country singers talk about (laughs) all too much. Well, that's. That's part of the, uh, maybe was part of the motive of writing that yeah. song. Um, and I wrote Billy and Bo with a friend of mine named Melissa Carper, who's a really wonderful songwriter and musician. And uh, we just wanted to write this story about these, um, 
these three friends that um, they're teenagers and they live in the Midwest on the prairie and uh, two of them are boys and one of them, at least one of them is kind of like he's in the closet and he loves his friend <laughs> and he can't say it, you know, because of the time yeah. and because of he, he doesn't feel comfortable saying it. He doesn't know what will happen if he says it. And so that's what the song's about. It's kind of about feeling um, feeling like you don't fit or you can't really be yourself. And I thought, I mean, we just wanted to tell the story, and that was really the main um, incentive. But um, more importantly, it's just a love story. It's just a story about being human, and that's really kind of what we set out to do. Is there a stigma in the rural area? Because, I look, I've pretty much been a city person for most of my life. I'll, I'll talk about my, my ties to rural Amer- America, but you know, I'm, I'm more of a suburbs guy. I'm more of a city guy. So is there still a stigma in the rural area for not being, you know, not being hetero? Well, I, I think so, but I mean, for what it's worth, I've lived in the city now for 18 years myself. So, yeah. I mean, um, when I was growing up, um, there was, and that that's kind of when the song takes place is in the okay. 90s. It's, it's supposed to be like the nineties, you know, in my mind, it's the eighties or nineties yeah. and a kid in, in, in rural, you know, in the song, it's like rural North Dakota. I mean, think about it. It's just, it would just be incredibly difficult. So that's, but, but I think, you know, every kid has an experience and, to me, the song is kind of just like these three kids and their experience and just like the, uh, the struggle with the, the sexual orientation thing is just a part of it, but they're kind of also just, you know, you're like this little awkward nugget of a person <laughs> when you're that age. And, um, you see, we tried to kind of make the listeners see like the love between these three characters, because that's, that's a big part of the story too, is how tight they were. Yeah. We're not awkward as teenagers, <laughs> right? Oh, no, not at all. Wayne, I wasn't awkward as a teenager, was I? <laughs> no, you were. You were uh, Did you all uh, know each other as teenagers? Yeah, we went to high school together. Yeah. Oh, amazing. Yeah. So, and I will, I will definitely raise my hand for awkward teenager. <laughs> yeah, that was that. I think I'm the poster child for that. Yeah, I think. No, you're not yeah, supposed yeah. to agree with that one. <laughs> Oh no! I, I absolutely, I believe I've stated the same. I, I, I did not feel like my like who I am today. I was. I'm glad to have gone through it, but just like yeah, I think that song, uh, Billy and Bo does capture that that awkwardness of the whole thing of not, you know, not you. You know, you you live day to day and you think you you know where you're going, and but there's all of these other things inside you that your even your best friends don't don't necessarily see. Yeah. Right. Haven't seen her. Still with the rodeo Never got married Heard through the grapevine But he broke a lot of hearts Including Billy's and mine The heart wants to go Where the heart wants to go And you can't undo it Billy never told me so But I just knew it The heart wants to go Where the heart wants to go And you can't undo it 
Um, I love the song John Deere H. Oh, thank you. Totally reminds me of my dad. So I have a little bit of a unique upbringing since, you know, we, we brought up the Tacoma, Washington thing, which is city. But um, I mean, it's not a huge city. It's it's big enough that it has a triple A baseball team. So that that's that's the context. Um, but my dad had property an hour away in rural Washington, and that's where my folks ended up retiring to. So I, I spent many a Saturday afternoon down at that property shoveling shit, as they say, um, mending barbed wire fences, cutting wood. And all I can say is my old man, I think sometimes he loved his tracker more than he loved his kids. <laughs> so I, I totally, I totally understood where, 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 where this was coming from. Yeah, um, that song is actually about my dad. Yeah. So, and actually, my dad and his dad. So, it just came from a story my dad told me. And, yeah, those old guys in their tractors. <laughs> I, I, I agree with you. There's a love. There's, There's a, love, a love. Maybe greater than a, the way you love your child. <laughs> yeah, for, for sure. For sure. Wayne, uh, did you get a chance to listen to Brandon's record? I did, and like I say, um, those those are the same two songs that stuck out to me that I, I really enjoyed. And um, I did. I think I also enjoyed it more because I had been listening to the record we're going to talk about for a week, and so I was I was definitely in that place to hear some more of that there's, and, and a, from a content, more contemporary uh, artist. Yeah, there's definitely some story songs on on the the record that we're going to talk about as well. I do want to ask one other thing. So how far are you from the, um, the dispute that's laid out in, uh, you ain't laying no, no pipeline. <laughs> um, far. Oh, I, um, okay. that's, that's not the part of the state where I'm from. Um, but I just, um, was angry about it. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, had some friends that I'd spoken with from out there and just, Got mad and wrote that song, so that's that's about as close as I am to it. It's easy to feel kind of powerless with things like that, and I guess my way of dealing with it was was writing that. Yeah, we also um, Wayne recently we had Brooks Hubbard on, who he also wrote kind of a a, a protest song of that of that nature as well. So yeah, that that whole experience definitely has struck some chords with with us. So that's what art is for, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So, so Brennan, um, tell us what record you chose to revisit for this episode. Okay. I chose, uh, the birds sweetheart of the rodeo. So I know that I kind of steered you away from your first choice. So tell, tell me what your (laughs) first choice was. 
My first choice was Satan is Real by the Leuven Brothers. And and I will say this. I don't typically tell the publicist, maybe you should rethink this, but I will say that our our country episodes, if if people are not completely familiar with the record, um, you know, part of us doing the podcast is to promote you, to get you out there to a new audience. And, and so I was like, um, people are, are probably not going to want to listen to us ramble on about a gospel record. Cause it well, is pretty much a gospel record, right? It, it is a, uh, it is a gospel record. So a country gospel record. So my thinking yeah. actually in suggesting it was it in my, in my little bubble of the world, which is, I will, it, you know, for those that don't know me, I will say I come, I come straight from country music, yeah. um, older country music specifically in bluegrass and in my little bubble. So the Leuven brothers have their place, but in, in my understanding, there's kind of a broader um, fascination with them because they have this iconic, weird album cover and yes. this this dark, strange, fascinating history. So that was that was sort of part of my attempt was like maybe I can go a little rock and roll here and do Satan is real and, <laughs> and instead of like a different Leuven Brothers album. It's kind of like what, what my thinking was, but then I thought, okay, so you know, this birds album is maybe like the most rock and roll thing that I have a good handle on and, and have listened to a whole bunch. Cause I re- I really truly have been um, kind of woefully. Well, let's just say, let's just say I come from country and that's, that's sort of where I come from. So this yeah. album, I wanted to talk about sweetheart of the rodeo and, I, and I've gotten more and more excited about it over the week because it's, it's such an interesting time in, there were so many things that smashed together <laughs> over the time of this recording and that there's just, we could, pro- we could talk about it for hours, but it was sort of like the, the colliding of hippie rock and roll yep. with, with country music. I mean, what could be more interesting culturally, those two cultures kind of slamming together and then seeing the public and the way the public responded to it. That's really fascinating to me. So I think we made the right choice. I think so too. I went down a complete rabbit hole the other night because I was, I I've known of Graham Parsons. I've listened to other people do Graham Parsons records. Um, he's from this area. So he, he grew up in winter Haven, which is about 40 minutes from where I live. Um, and there's even a, a, a small, a concert venue that's in Winter Haven that um, they try and and keep true to the Graham Parsons form of country rock, whatever you want to call it. Um, so you know, I I started listening to some interviews from from Graham. Started listening to because I always like to listen to the, the previous record that the artist has done and. You know, so I'm listening to the Notorious Bird Brothers, which came out in, which is, this is really weird. So this record came out in August of 1968. The Notorious Bird Brothers came out in January of 68. So, I mean, the birds were just cranking out records at that time. Well, I was going to say, I read that Graham was out of the band by the time this record came out. Yes. Yeah, so the they, released, I heard. there must have been some um, 
obviously there was some some lag time between their recordings and their releases. Yeah, and I think that the birds were just kind of going through a little bit of a tumultuous time period anyway. So um, Notorious Bird Brothers was not a commercial success. It was David Crosby's last record with them. He was fired halfway through making that record. Um, it And that record only peaked at number 47, um, which, you know, they were, they were pretty used to making, you know, top 20 records up to that point. So I would say that in 67, 68, the Birds were probably the biggest American rock band. I mean, we can talk about Beatles and Stones and Kinks and what have you, but those were all, you know, UK artists. I don't know. Maybe the Doors were the Doors bigger than the Birds at this point, Wayne. Wow, um, sixty-eight. Uh, yeah, that'd be about that time. Yeah, but you know, the Birds got a lot of their notoriety because they covered Dylan songs. And we're going to talk about a couple Dylan songs on, on this one as well. Um, because if you go back to notorious bird brothers, so I, I would say my back pages from, from Dylan is um, that's probably my favorite birds song. Sorry. It's not, it's not on this record. Well, um, you know, I, I should probably like come out and say too, that um, this is actually it's actually the only birds album I have ever owned. Yeah. Um, and that's because and it's part, it's part of the reason I wanted to talk to you guys about this because, um, because of that clashing of country, not clashing, but you know, slamming together, colliding of country music and rock. Like I came to this from the other end. Yeah. So, so this was like, Oh, Graham Parsons is on that record. You, you know, when I was a teenager, you Graham Parsons is on that record. And I was discovering Graham Parsons. Um, you, you should get that bird's record because he's on it. I think a right. friend, a friend gave me a tape, a tape, a cassette tape of sweetheart of the rodeo. Um, so that's, that's why I'm interested in how the birds fit into that whole context because yeah. I don't, I, I, I need to go out and get them of course, but I don't have the preceding or the, you know, the following birds album. Right. Well, that's why I have Spotify. So. Yeah, I suppose I can go. I can go listen to it, or, or yeah. you know, buy it. <laughs> and and with Graham coming aboard, so you know, I talked about David Crosby getting kicked out of the band. I haven't even talked about so the other vocalist, Gene Clark. He had departed the Birds in '66, so they were they were already looking to 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 keep that you know the 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 harmony vocals that they're most known for. And so here comes Graham Parsons, who's he's only 21 years old when he makes this record and his, his fingerprints are all over this record. That's what's crazy to me is, is how this, this, this young kid just kind of comes in and he transforms this very well-known rock band and turns them into a country rock band. And what I was kind of reading about you know, everything I'm I'm going to say is, of course, hearsay because I wasn't there and it's stuff that's been printed and and whatnot. But like, I understand he and Roger McGuinn had kind of a disagreement or several disagreements about the um, aesthetic. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that they argued about was um, Graham wanting to bring in a, a steel player full time. 
for the road dates. And um, Roger McGuinn uh, reportedly didn't want that. Gotcha. And uh, to me, the steel makes this record like. Oh, absolutely. It, it's so interesting. It's so interesting to me hearing this um, kind of the, the existing birds rhythm section. And then yeah. here you have Earl Poole Ball on the piano who played with um, Buck Owens and Johnny Cash. And you've got J.D. Manis on the steel. And you've got um, Lloyd Green on the steel. So, and it just, it just, to me, it just elevated the whole record. It's so beautiful how those things juxtapose. So with with you loving this record, did you did you also go and seek out any of the Flying Burrito Brothers records? Uh, yeah, so I I do ha- I have listened to them quite a bit. Uh, okay. Flying Burrito Brothers, International Submarine Band, and uh, of course Graham Parsons solo records, which. I'd have to say are probably my favorite of the, of that group. Yeah. And he died very young. So he was 26. Didn't hit that horrible 27 club that nobody wants to be a part of that club, but very notorious club of some, some very wonderful musicians that are part of that club. Um, guys realize that this, incarnation of the birds lasted five months yeah five five months they didn't even tour with parsons he essentially got kicked out of the band um they were supposed to go to south africa and he what i heard i i I read two different stories on this so the story was that he didn't want to go to south africa because of all the political upheaval then the other story I read was he wanted to stay in London and party with Keith Richards. And <laughs> Maybe it was both. It could have he, been both. Yeah. Uh, he did figure quite a bit in Keith Richards biography. There's clear, there was clearly a, a, a huge friendship uh, between the two. Uh, and there were sections of the, of Keith, Keith Richards biography where he was very, uh, he, he was, affected you know heavily by his death um what i thought was i thought this was a really great choice because just i want to say it was just within the last couple weeks for i don't know what reason i listened to grievous angel so i was just Mm. like i was just everything lined up i was preparing for this for for weeks and i didn't even know it i considered uh pitching grievous angel as as my second choice to you guys well, we'll right. see how this goes. Maybe we'll have it back on. <laughs> we'll see how I do. <laughs> Let me know if I pass the audition. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So um, let's let's go track by track. We'll dive into this. So as a reminder, our scoring is based on number of songs on the record. Wayne, how many songs on this record? 11. Which means our top song is going to get 11 points. Next favorite, 10 on down to the lowest score of one. So let's kick this off. First song is You Ain't Going Nowhere. Oh, oh, are we gonna fly? 
And of course, this is a Bob Dylan cover. Um, he had a re- he didn't, I guess when Dylan had recorded this in 67, but he didn't actually release a version of this song until his greatest hits volume two album came out in 71. This was a single didn't do much on the charts though. He reached number 74 in the U S 45 on the UK. Um, but it's been covered by a lot of people. These are a couple of the people that I listened to this week. So old crow medicine show has done a cover of this fish counting crows, Glenn Hansard does a really good version of this. Um, and I, there were a couple that I didn't check out. So Dandy Warhol's Earl Scruggs, Loudon Wainwright, the third, um, do you, do you guys know of any of those covers? I never heard the Earl Scruggs one. I'd be curious to hear that. Yeah. I didn't listen to that one. So I'll have to, I'll have to find that. So, so start us off, Brennan. What, what do you like about, uh, you ain't going nowhere? Well, I mean, to me, it's they made a great choice in putting this first because it's like very birdsy. <laughs> yeah. So anyone who was a birds fan who heard this would go, "Oh yeah, that's easily the birds." Like it's just right away when you hear the the singing um, and everything else. But then, then you, it's got that kick, that steel kick. That's Lloyd Green. It's just completely classic. Every time you hear that and it's unmistakable, it's unmistakably Lloyd green and it's unmistakably this recording. Um, and it's unmistakably 1968, you know, it's, um, it's so it's the, it's a vibe too. And usually I'm not, I'm not very vibe driven. Like I'm song driven. I like songs that make sense. Songs, songs that, that tell a story, but this is such a jam. You just couldn't help but like it. Even if it was, even if the song, the lyrics were total nonsense, it would still be enjoyable because it's just such a great vibe. Yeah. Did you did you listen to the radio spot that's on the uh, Legacy version, the mm, deluxe not, the deluxe edition? I'm not sure if I did. So there's there's a, a a minute long radio spot, which they used to do back in the day to promote the records, and they start putting in these little sound clips, and there's a a female and a male. Um, narrator on this and and they're like the new record by the birds oh, i did and, listen to that yeah and the the guy's like that's not the birds <laughs> and the female's like yeah it is this is the birds here's another song and the guy's hears that one as well and he's like you sure that's the birds so isn't it weird that, that was their tactic for getting people to yeah buy the record like it yeah. doesn't it doesn't sound like them but you should listen to it anyway or- right I just thought it was it was bizarre and a interesting marketing choice, but yeah, that's not the birds, <laughs> right? Right, Wayne. What do you got on uh, the 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 lead song here? Uh, Brennan stole my notes. Uh, it's ex- I, I said exactly the same thing. I think it's a, the best way. It's one of the. There are a couple other examples that I think are maybe more birds than country, and this one is just the right mix as a great way to tell your bass that you know it's still us, but put in these these new and I I what I I'm I am not a a connoisseur of pedal steel but you can I thought it was interesting you can absolutely tell the difference between Lloyd Greens and uh JD Manis like it's you can absolutely like even I could pick out when it when the when the pedal steel 
uh, changed when, who, when someone else was doing it in, the, in some yeah. of the other songs. But I thought this, yeah, a great way to, uh, to show the, the people who already are fans of the birds that the new direction that they're going and kind of ease them, kind of, kind of ease them into it. Yeah. And yeah, I knew it was a Bob Dylan song too, because the lyrics, there was something about them that's just not like not making sense, like a, a like a riddle that you're no one's going to figure out. And I'm like, so, uh, and also there's, there's some, Roger McGuinn says Genghis Khan, where he says it, he almost says it in like an <laughs> imitation Bob he Dylan does. voice. <laughs> <laughs> he imitates Bob Dylan, doesn't he? Very much so. All right, let's get some scores. Wayne, what do you got on you Eight. going nowhere? <laughs> And Brennan? Uh, I need to look at mine, but I think I had this as my number one. I might have had it as my favorite one. Did, or no, I didn't. I had it second or third. Yes, this was your 10. This was my 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 second favorite, so this was my number. And I, I also want to say, my my ranking was, it's it's baloney. I couldn't. <laughs> I couldn't. I did it all wrong. I mean, I, like I sent it to you, and then I looked at it today and went, I don't agree with any of this. It's really hard to pick. I mean, this is a really good record, so you kind of tortured me by making me making me try to rank these. Um, that's, that's what we do, but this is an awesome track. Yeah. So. Yeah. We, we typically have scorers remorse ourselves, so we, we get it. We get it. Yeah. Well, anyway, I just apologize. The, the musicianship on every single one of these tracks and I, I can't, I can't complain about any of them. So it was really a torment. So thanks a lot for putting me through that <laughs> mental anguish. You're very welcome. Very this welcome. Was my, this was my number number 10 song. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And this was, this was my nine. All right. Uh, next song is I Am a Pilgrim. And to both of your points about um, the the lead track being a good ease into the record, then you get this song, which is a traditional Christian hymn turned into a folksy bluegrass country song. And um, this is probably where you alienate the the rest of your bass. <laughs> yeah, maybe I, not. Yeah, and I I did. That was one of the things is I, I thought that it went, especially with some of the other tracks, there's, I don't know if there was a way to mix it around, but it, it felt like they went too country too quickly. Like we're going to ease them in. No, we're not. We're pushing you into the deep end of the pool. You're, this is where it's going from here. Right. Yeah. And you, and you do it with um, an old hymn that combines, you know, uh, talking about, touching the hem of his garment, which is definitely a, a, a Christ reference. And, you know, you're ending, uh, well, in each of the verses, there's talking about good Lord. Right. I think, I mean, and it's my opinion that, and this is a Merle Travis song, yeah. um, but uh, it's, it's my opinion that they were being brave with this whole 
Um, I mean, think about the guts it would take. Like, I don't, I wasn't around in 1968, so I don't know what the cultural climate was like in terms of like bringing in elements of country, but it seemed like it was pretty groundbreaking on a national scale, you know, in, in the mainstream for them to do this. And so, so they were like, they were like, here's a steel guitar and a bunch of banjo and some songs about Jesus. And this is to their, you know, this is a long haired hippie, hippie band. And that's like what they're famous for is being this rock band. I think what they were doing was, um, I think what they did was, was really brave, but if I were them, I'd have been a little afraid too, because of what their fans were used to. And it wasn't, it was more, it was more psychedelic stuff. It wasn't, um a Merle Travis song with, uh, you know, um, John Hartford on the fiddle, but I love it. (laughs) This is one of my favorites. Yeah. Wayne, what do you got on this one? Yeah. I just, I, I, it fits very well on this record. I just, I think it went too religious, too country too soon. Cause like, like Brenda pointed out, this is, you know, 68. These guys are, are a hippie Laurel Canyon, you know, rock band. And so I think you're almost alienating your base too quickly to get them acclimated to where, where, where you're, what you're trying to do. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's what prompted my, this is my lowest score just because I, I thought the sequencing was, was weird. Um, Brennan, what's your score on this one? I had it at five, but because I couldn't decide where it belonged. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I think it's a great track. And Wayne, what do you got? A three. All right, so next song is The Christian Life. I still love them and I sing with pride. I like the Christian life. I won't lose a friend by heeding God's call. And I'm just going to let Brennan start. Okay. Well, this one was my favorite. Is my favorite. Um, The steel kick is amazing. It's completely unique in every way. Um, Clarence White is playing guitar on it. And it is a Leuven Brothers song. Yes. Um, And they do a beautiful job with it. Um, He messes up the words a little bit, but it's still great. And they kind of rocked it out a little bit. I mean, yeah. It's a it's a waltz in its original form, um, and they kind of um, they kind of uh, they kind of gave it a little muscle, um, which is interesting. But I just to me the steel is what pushed it to it's it's my favorite track on here. And this is McGuinn on the vocals. So we will talk about there were three songs that originally Graham Parsons was the lead vocals, but because Graham was going through a contractual dispute. I, I'm not sure if it was the contractor contractual dispute that led them to change the vocals for, there were three songs that ended up not having Graham on the vocals. And I don't know if it was the contract or if it was because they had kicked him out of the band by the time that they released the record. Um, but McGuinn is lead is lead vocals on this one. If you go to the Legacy Edition, the deluxe version, you can hear Graham's take on this one, and it is—it's so much better. 
I think. Uh, I, I'm a fan of Graham singing too. And I, yeah. I don't want to classify singers because I think that's silly. But like, to me, he sounds like a country singer. Yes. And the other two guys, they're both great vocalists, but they sound like rock singers to me. And yes. I like to hear... <laughs> I like to hear a country song sung by a country singer. So yeah. um, that's sort of just where I fall because because of who I am. But uh, the vocal's great on this. Roger McGuinn's vocal's great. Yeah. All right. So you already said that this is your lead, your 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 top track. Oh, yeah. I wonder, though. You can listen to the Graham version. You can find it. It's out there. Yeah, um, it's on it's on that deluxe version. Yeah, yeah. That's that, you know, may have been also the one I was thinking of, too when I was uh when I was scoring these but like I said I like them both. Yeah, this is my 8 and then Wayne. Well, I'm going to say this. My biggest part of my score is is not the musicality or or any of it. It's there's a because this is a a rock band that I've actually, you know, and I've, I've well documented stories of drug-fueled parties. So a song called The Christian Life <laughs> ultimately came off like there's a commitment to it musically and vocally, but I know that this is a hippie drug, you know, party band. And so there, so now the Christian life, it has a disingenuous, there's a, there's an insincerity to it from their actual life. And I know that that's, that's just me. That's just where but it I went think there's, me. I think there's a level of sarcasm to it though. I think they're. Yeah, I, I think they're trying I to be. Gen- I. I mean, okay. For, first, you should read the the Leuven Brothers biography. <laughs> <laughs> if you think, I mean, because they were wild. Uh, Ira Leuven especially was notoriously wild. I mean, he he was a heavy drinker and a, a religious fanatic, and um, uh, his uh, you know he's 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 one of the things he's famous for. Is he used to smash his mandolins on stage. Oh. And one of the other things that's you know scary story he's famous for is that he um he tried to strangle his wife with a telephone cord and <laughs> she ended up shooting him like three times. Um, he he li- he lived through that. But I, I guess my point is that <laughs> the song still had meaning for him, great meaning, even though he was a sinner. Yeah. Um, but I see, I see, kind of see what you're trying to say about the birds because as a as somebody that I hold country music very dear and also gospel music. When I hear someone do a gospel song and I sense that there's a kind of irony or like a wink with it, it kind of makes me angry because that is someone's ethnic music. Like that is a group of people that belongs to a certain faith and um, it should be left alone in my opinion. Like it shouldn't be made a joke out of. Um, But, but I don't, I don't hear a lot of that. If there is, if there is a wink, in the birds version of the, of that song. I don't, I don't hear a lot of it. Okay. But I see, now, I see exactly what you're saying. Now was Ira, I, I, now that you're bringing that up, was there an episode of cocaine and rhinestones about Ira? Yeah, there's an, there's a cocaine and rhinestones episode about the Leuven brothers. And okay. It talks a lot. It, you, it's worth revisiting because it talks a lot about his demons um, and also th- there's a great book that his brother Charlie wrote called Satan is real. And it's their sort of their, their, his autobiography about his gotcha. life. And there's a lot of stuff in there about Ira Leuven. I'm, I miss cocaine and rhinestones. He needs to bring that back. Yeah. That's a, that's a good one. Oh, it's so good. Um, 
All right, enough with promoting other people's podcasts. <laughs> well, he's he's put a new one. He's he's got a new one yet, so Yeah. All right. Um next song is You Don't Miss Your Water. Um, this is where I say um, there isn't a bad version of this song, in my opinion. There's a lot of different covers of this. Uh, the William Bell version, of course, was, I guess that's considered the original. It was released on Stacks in 61. There's a Otis Redding version in 65. Peter Tosh does a reggae version. Uh, Brian Eno even does a cover of this that's on the... Married to the Mob soundtrack from the 80s. And I don't know if you guys know the Trifids from Australia. I do not. You guys know the Trifids? Uh-uh. Oh, I love them. They're one of my favorite bands. Um, yeah, talk about a uh, little bit notorious uh, work there. You can go check that out. But there isn't a bad version of this song. I love this song. I absolutely agree. I listened to the original um, and I listened to the Otis Redding version. Um, and I just want to justify my score to a little bit because this, the top <laughs> half of this album is very, is, I, is stacked. It's very strong. Um, and I, I, and this doesn't deserve the, I gave it a six and I, I don't really know where I could put it, how I could put it higher with the, with the scores above it. Cause I, those songs I really like, but it doesn't seem like a six. And I, I think my favorite part about it is li- having listened to those very soulful original versions of this song, the way they, they arranged it into a country song, which it absolutely sounds perfect. It look it, it, you would have, I would have prior to hearing that it was uh, um, a William Bell, uh, Otis Redding, you know, had done a version of it. I would have believed that this was written as a country song. I mean, they, right. they, it's masterful the way they put it together. And this is the one that I noticed immediately. There was clearly a different pedal steel guitar player than Lloyd Green. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I scored this, <laughs> I scored this way too low. I, I gave it a two and that's because I did this scoring sheet by memory. And then I went back and I listened. I was like, why did I do that? Why did I give this a two? I think it was the, I th- honestly think it was the vocal. Um, I'm not crazy about it. Um, but you know, that the piano is awesome. Um, just the way that uh, it's so beautiful. So I, I really, I don't know. I, I really am conflicted over why I, why I did that. Um, I think it was, wasn't crazy about the vocal. Um, yeah. And there's a Parsons version on that deluxe. This is another one of the songs that got replaced by McGuinn. Yeah, I need to revisit that because that probably would have changed my. No offense, Roger. Um, <laughs> I, with all respect, I uh, I would have probably. I'm I'm such a Graham fan that I probably would have altered my thinking about it. Yeah, yeah. All right, I think we got all the scores from that. Um, next song is "You're Still on My Mind." Uh-huh. 
And I'm looking at scores, so I'm just going to let Wayne go. You know, like I was saying, for whatever reason, I don't have any idea why. I listened to Grievous Angel a couple of weeks ago in its entirety, and I, I absolutely fell in love with this song uh, the first time I heard it. Um, like I say, those piano flourishes that are in it, give it just uh, give it this great texture. His voice has this underlying sadness that it's, but it's not, I don't know. It's not overt. Um, and I love that this song has all of these classic country elements, honky tonks, jukeboxes, drinking and being done wrong, but it doesn't in any way sound cliche. It's just, I absolutely love this song. Yeah. And I will say this, this is the first time that you hear Graham Parsons singing the lead vocals on the record. Almost. Maybe they did that on purpose. I think that, yeah, I think that this is one, right. I think that this is one where if you listen to this, I don't know if you could replace Parsons vocals on this. Oh, I, I do not believe you could. Yeah. Yeah. That would be a mistake. Yeah. I mean, you would have to get like, um, you'd have to get like Merle Haggard (laughs) in there to do it. Right. You couldn't just grab a bird, you know, you know, one of the birds and have them do, I don't, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, I agree. Cause it's so country. Um, and this one, like in, in country music, a lot of people know the George Jones version of it. Um, which is a lot more, uh, shuffly. Uh, they, the birds definitely took it. They kind of, kind of raised the tempo a little, made it, made it a little faster. But yeah, I agree that the vocal on this is, I think I had this at a six, but I, I wanted it higher now that I'm looking at it. <laughs> such, a, such a great track. And I'm looking at the, the songwriting credits. So this is credited to Luke McDaniel, who goes under the stage name, Jeff Daniels. Um, not, not the guy from the newsroom. Um, and I, kept meaning to go check out the original version and I never did. Did anybody else here listen to other versions? You mentioned the, the George Jones version, but I didn't know there was anything else. I'm sure there's one I'm not thinking of, but that's the one that comes um, to mind is the George yeah. Jones. Gotcha. All right. Um, I don't think I gave my score. So this is my four. And then next song is pretty boy Floyd. I'm just going to let Brennan start because I, you know, we, we talked about your record, talked about how you've got a lot of these, um, you know, they're, they're songs with a story and this is definitely a song with a story. Yeah. So I had this at a nine, um, just probably, probably pretty subjectively because I couldn't decide, but, um, I really love the story in this. You know, I love that it, I love the Woody Guthrie stuff, the Dust Bowl stories, um, Dust Bowl ballads. And um, they kind of took this and made it kind of grassy, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, I'm just looking at credits now and I'm realizing that John Hartford yes. played uh, guitar, banjo, and fiddle. 
on this. Yep. Um, so that would explain it. <laughs> at least like 30% of its awesomeness. Um, and it's just, it's just a cool, um, it's just a great song. So that probably factored into how I like the story and I like the song. And for those of you who may not be totally versed on country music. So John Hartford is most known for writing the huge song gentle on my mind. Right. And he was, uh, he was also he was the banjo player on the Glenn Campbell Good Time Hour, right? <laughs> on TV, and, and Glenn Campbell is the one who made that huge. That was huge. That that song got four Grammy awards in nineteen sixty eight. Yeah, great song. Yeah, uh, I think John Hartford's like the perfect person for them to ask to be on this record because he was like this bluegrass uh, monster picker but also kind of a hippie like he was he's he he was and is respected by you know the bluegrass um sort of establishment but he yet he wrote songs like uh granny won't you smoke some marijuana and songs (laughs) like that i mean he just was this crazy uh sort of psychedelic bluegrass guy he fits right into this record yeah he does all right wayne anything um no, I think, and like I say, the um, the I do like this the the story um, it, that it's it's very it's got a, an outlaw punkiness to it in it in, in that in its folk way, um, but I just came off to ballad of Jed Clampett after and especially after I saw how they transformed um, you don't miss your water I don't know, I guess I would have expected some or like to have kind of seen something more whether updated or, or at least gave it some sort of birds treatment because I felt like they played it pretty straight across, uh, not having, not having heard Woody Guthrie do it, but this was my least favorite. It kind of looks like none of the birds played on it. Maybe, maybe I'm looking at this wrong, but Chris Hillman played mandolin on it. And then they had Roy Husky playing bass, which it looks like he played on a few of these, but if I'm if I'm not mistaken, it kind of looks like none of the birds actually played on this except Roger McGuinn singing and Chris that's, Hillman playing mandolin. That's kind of what it looks like to me. And yeah, um, this was my two. Just uh, I didn't connect with it. All right, so this is where we flip the record over, and let's talk about Hickory Wind. And this is another Graham Parsons song. The lore is that when the vocals were being erased for those other songs and somebody had stopped McGuinn from erasing the vocal track on this, which would have just been a travesty, a complete mistake. Yeah. <laughs> um, we talked about this um, on the last episode we did. Wayne, where we talked about the infamous scene of, of Graham Parsons switching it up at the Grand Old Opry. So they had been invited to, to play at the Grand Old Opry, the birds, that is. And I guess it was not super well received because 
a lot of the patrons there at the Grand Old Opry kind of viewed the birds as a hippie band. Oh, and I believe he was supposed to they were supposed to do Life in Prison was the song they were yes. they were expected to do. And then he switched it up. So he was supposed to do Merle Haggard and then he decided, no, we're gonna we're gonna do Hickory Wind instead. I think that whole scene of them going and playing the Opry is Crazy. just <laughs> it's so interesting. Because okay, I was reading, you probably read the same thing I did, but I was reading that they actually went and got haircuts. Yes. I mean, how sweet, you know, like I, it's like they were these, they were these rock and roll hippie guys and they were probably nervous. Like this is the country music. Like this is the establishment. These people are, they drove in from, you know, uh, nowhere, Missouri and somewhere in, in Georgia to, to, to see the Opry. And then here's this rock band and there, there is, and was kind of a rift between the two musical traditions and here yeah. these guys were trying to trying to do both and uh i just i just apparently they got booed which i think is terrible behavior from the opry audience um but also it's just so interesting it's so interesting to think about that happening well think about what you just said about john hartford so he he sang songs about marijuana so what I, I don't know. It's just, is it because Hartford was considered a country guy and they embraced him as a country person? I mean, we just did an episode talking about Chris Christopherson's first record. And, you know, if you look at the, the, the record um, cover, he's got long hair in that. You know, he's. Well, what year was that, though? That was 70. 69. So or 70, I think- yeah. I think it depends on your, it's just so funny. Like John Hartford was in with Glenn Campbell, you know, and that's kind of how he got his squeaky fame. clean. Right. Um, yeah. Squeaky clean, you know, for, you know, appearance, yeah. but the appearance, like, right. Like, like yeah. John Hartford. Um, and, and also I, you know, I want to make this distinction too, that at least nowadays country music fans and bluegrass fans are different. They're a slightly different group of people. Right. Um, you have your fans of progressive bluegrass and your fans of traditional bluegrass and your fans of, you know, modern country and traditional country, and they're different people. And then they're Americana, you know, fans, and those people are different. I think that that was the same. It had there was a version of that going on in '68, and I think the Opry audience in '68 was probably pretty conservative. Yeah. Um, but if you went to a bluegrass festival, you probably. Um, you'd probably see a, a mix. You'd probably see a lot of country folk, but you'd probably see some, some hippie types and you know, that kind of thing too. But I don't know. That's why I'm so, I'm so fascinated by the, the anthropological (laughs) aspect of this. Right. I think the, 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 the most hippies I've ever seen was when I went to a more traditional, like bluegrass festival. I saw more hippies there than anywhere else. So <laughs> whatever that's worth. Um, yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, this is my seven. Wayne, your score. Yeah. Also a seven. And I could never, I couldn't find out who did the female harmonies on it. Um, I couldn't find that either, but I, they're, they're uh, amazing. Um, and this is, yeah, this is one of the songs. This is like I say, this is one of the songs that doesn't, doesn't make me feel so bad about, um, you don't miss your water getting a six. Cause I couldn't, I gave this a seven and I think this was, this is a beautiful song. Yeah. And then Brennan, your score. Um, I gave Hickory wind. I don't know why I did this, but I gave it a four. 
Um, I seriously don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> it's so it's a great, it's a great song. It's a classic song. Um, yeah, I don't know what I was thinking. All good. All I good. really don't. I think that's what you said about them. Possibly, you know, this maybe being an urge, urban legend, but possibly Roger McGuinn trying to erase Graham's vocal. It's so weird that it sounds made up. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Next song is 100 Years From Now. vocals that you hear on the final that is McGuinn and Hillman um, because that was one that they they actually did erase Graham's vocals off of uh, you can hear that on on the demo versions you can hear the demo versions with Graham's vocals on the legacy edition I'm gonna just admit this now so this is this was my gateway into getting this record on vinyl Um I'm a huge Wilco fan. I've been on record of saying that, right, Wayne? Mm-hmm. Probably much to Wayne's chagrin no, not, at not times. <laughs> and uh, I, so I became a fan of this because Wilco does a cover of this song. I heard a live version of this at one of the shows that I was I went to, and I'm like, who 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 wrote that song? And come to find out that it was Graham Parsons and it's on this record. And that's, there you go. That's why I have the vinyl of this. So I love the song. Uh, I will shut up now. Wayne, what do you got on this? I, you know, and uh, if it wasn't for the Graham Parsons song earlier, this one, I, I love the song and it's, um, I know I, I love it because when it ends, I, the first thing that goes through my mind is it can't be over already. It's, it, it's too short. I, um, I just could listen to this song for six or seven minutes. And this is a little more birds than country. And I, I, I think I like that. And I also, uh, and I would love to hear the Graham Parsons uh, with him added. Cause I think one of the, my favorite parts of the song is Roger McGuinn and Chris Hillman together doing the doing kind of a co-lead vocal. Yeah. Um, and then I, and lyrically it does, it's, it's got a very, uh, you know, late sixties kind of, uh, hippie vibe to it. You know, that idea, you know, is it's going to be better and 50 years, uh, it's still not, unfortunately, uh, many of the time, the, the allusions to the topics that he's speaking of, um, you know, civil rights still and exists. corporate greed pollution. Um, yeah, we're halfway there and we haven't conquered them yet. So I, I do apologize, Graham. <laughs> So much for progress. Brennan, what do you got on this one? Okay, I had it I had it three. Um, and I think I was I think I was comparing it with Graham's 
other writing. Um, I think he's written songs I like better. And I also, okay, while I'm crazy, anything Lloyd Green plays on, I just think it's so beautiful. I love, I love what he, I love what he played on this. Um, but the, so the steel, steel guitar on this is killer. Really, yeah. really great yeah. um, steel parts. The vocal effect was driving me crazy. And I think it was too psychedelic for me. I like to hear people's voices. So um, that was the thing I noticed they did on this track that I didn't notice that they did a lot on any of the other tracks. If you listen carefully to this one, I'm pretty sure you can hear the original Graham vocals in the, in the very background of this. Hmm. Now I could, the- I could be wrong. Cause I did listen to this on one of my morning walks with my good headphones on. So there's a version out, like you can listen to the Graham version, right? Now, so I think when I was a kid, I think I had, when I was a kid, I say like (laughs) 20 years ago or 15 years ago, I had the, I think I had the deluxe edition. So I think I mixed up in my head when I think of this song, (laughs) I hear Graham in my head. Yeah. But like when I listened to it this morning, it was the existing version with Roger McGuinn and Chris Hillman. Yeah. I don't know what I meant by that, except just that I'm, I'm mixed up. (laughs) I'm mixed up about who's doing what. Right. Did I get scores on this already? I don't believe yeah. so. Okay. Oh, All did right. you? I I don't know. I I I said this was my top. Wayne, your your score? Uh, ten. I had a three. Okay. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. It's interesting. <laughs> We're not judging you. <laughs> or at least I'm not. Maybe Wayne. I, no, Wayne, I'm, are you judging? I me? am absolutely not. <laughs> I think Wayne and I come from slightly yeah, different I, musical traditions. I, I was thinking the same thing. And that's why well, I wanted to, you know, do this record. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, next song, Blue Canadian Rockies. Blue Canadian Rockies. Spring is silent through the trees. And the golden poppies are blooming round the bay. Okay, this song's awesome. Um, I had it at a seven. Um, It's cool that they did a a Cindy Walker song. They probably might have learned it from Slim Whitman or something like that. Um, But I just think they nailed it. Every piece, every piece of... uh, equipment on this was in the right place. And I did listen to the Gene Autry version, which is very, very traditional country song, which is cool. Um, Wayne, what do you got on this one? I, I, and I love this one. I love the, the harmonizing in the, in the choruses. And I, again, I thought this was the perfect combination of, you know, what the, the birds fans, would already expect and that new country sound. This, this was another great combination of that. Yeah. And I feel this is where I start feeling bad about my scores for these last three songs. This was my five. And then Wayne, a four Brennan. Are we talking about, um, blue Canadian, blue Canadian Rockies? Yeah. Seven, seven. Gotcha. Next song, life in prison. 
Wayne, what do you got on this one? Another Parsons sung sung tune. Yeah, uh, this is classic. I mean, this is. I mean, you you cannot. How great is Merle Haggard? I mean, this is just a. This is a great song, and uh, I and I love JD Manis's uh, steel guitar on this. Like, definitely, the, it's the star of the show. Yeah, Brennan, what do you got? Um, I had an eight, and I wanted to go higher. Um, yeah, I, I love this version of this song. The singing is awesome. Yeah, I feel I feel bad about it. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. What, I'm, did, what I'm, did you give it? Uh, uh, you know, I I gave it a three, and I feel like I said I feel bad about. It. I, I gave it a five, and I feel, I feel bad. I feel like that. I want to pledge allegiance to the hag <laughs> to quote Eric Church, you know, but I just uh, there were so you many should, others. You should feel bad. There's yeah. so many other songs, so many other songs on this record that I like more than the, this one. Uh, Brennan, what was your score on this one? On Life in Prison, I gave an eight. Okay. And then last but not least is Nothing Was Delivered. Nothing is And this is another Dylan song, and it definitely sounds like a Dylan song. I thought that this was interesting. You, you, your bookmarking, or your your um, bookending, uh, your bookending the 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 record with two Dylan songs. From anybody else, that on purpose? I mean, they they made it famous off you know Mr. Tambourine Man, so I'm not shocked by it. If anybody was going to do that, it, besides Bob Dylan, I guess it would be the birds. Brennan, I'm looking at your score for this. Does it does it get a a, a lesser score because it's more of a traditional Dylan type song instead of being more country esque? I'm not sure why, but this one just never did it for me. Okay. Um, again, stellar musicianship, like um, on uh, on the whole rest of the record, but it just song song wise. I don't know. Maybe I, I wasn't crazy about the the vocal effect again, like the singing, and um, and that that may have been it. Um, but also, you know, I also want to say about the about the piano, and this is a little bit of a this is a little bit of a digression, but um, if you'll if you'll pardon me for just a sec, I I okay. did a little bit of extra credit, um, and <laughs> so when when I lived in Austin, I, I just it, I I'm seeing in the credits here it says um, that that Graham Parsons played the piano and the organ. That's who's credited on this this song. This is a little interesting history thing that you may find interesting. So when I lived in Austin, I used to see Earl Poole Ball all the time. Um, okay. He's a he's a piano player on this album, and he also played with Johnny Cash and uh, Buck Owens and all kinds of people like that. And I wrote him because um, he was a friend when I when I used to see him all the time in Austin. And I'll read you what he um, 
what he told me if you if you're interested. Absolutely. It's just quick. He says, uh, Brennan, I played on most of the songs that were recorded in California on that album, meaning Sweetheart of the Rodeo, not the Nashville cuts. I remember You Don't Miss Your Water and You're Still on My Mind, also Life in Prison. Um, I also put down a track for Hickory Wind, and it sounds like they used some of my my track and some of a Graham piano track on the mix, mostly his, as there was a problem with the tuning on that one. It was an overdub. I also played on Life in Prison. I was recording with Buck Owens in the afternoons and the birds in the evenings. Busy boy. I was brought into the project by Graham, who had used me on his earlier recording of Safe at Home, the International Submarine Band. I had initially been recommended to him by J.D. Manis um, when I played in a band at the Aces Club where I had the huge um, weekend two-day marathon jam sessions and Graham came out to the jams um, and would sit in and sing and play. He also brought Chris Hillman and Clarence White and Chris Etheridge. Fun times. Um, so anyway, I was when I was looking at uh, Nothing Was Delivered, I was thinking maybe that was the song in question that Earl had played on, but it was actually... What was the other one I said that he'd said? That is Graham on the piano. And that's the only place that I see him credited hmm. on here as a piano player. But that's, that was from Earl Poole Ball, who, was, who played most of the piano on this, uh, this album. Very good. Yeah, nice. Yeah, sorry for the. No, that's great. Yeah. And Graham was originally hired to be in the band to be the piano player, from what I gather. And then he ended up going on guitar for most of it. At least that's what I read. I found it on the internet, so it may or may not be true. Um, did I get scores on this? I don't think nope. I did. Brennan, what's your score? I had a, I had a one, but that's... <laughs> we know. All right. Uh, <laughs> and Wayne, your score? Oh, nine. I love the, the, the bass and drums kind of build up when they go into that. Nothing is... Uh, better, nothing is best, take care of your health and get plenty of rest. There's like, a, like the drums, it almost seems were non-existent on this record until that, that moment. Yeah. And this was one that creeped up on me. This ended up being my six. This was as low as my two at one point. And I just, the more I listened to this record again over the course of this week, I just, I don't know. It just, it grew on me. So, um, there were two other songs that are on the 1997 reissue. So there's a couple of reissues that they did 1997. And then there's a, the legacy version that I keep talking about with the Graham Parsons vocals that came out in 2003. So there's a couple songs that didn't make the record called once called you got a reputation and then lazy days, which is a Graham Parsons song. Did either of you guys listen to those songs? Not in context, but I have heard both. Yeah, I did. I, I liked You Got a Reputation, but it is more of a bird song. It's yeah. a little more rocking than the rest of the record. So I understand why they didn't put it on. Um, and then Lazy Days, that also has a little more prominent electric guitar in the song, which again probably doesn't fit into the record that they were trying to make, which is more of a country country vibe record. So that's it. That's, that's my, that's <laughs> I, my digression. I, I see why they left them off in a way. Um, yeah, I do too. B- because they were trying to, they really were trying to do this country thing. 
Um, and they, they're very successful. I mean, to me, they still sound like a rock band, um, but they've picked all the right people to come in and like make it legitimately cool for country fans too. I, I think in a way, in a way it's kind of a perfect by genre record. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, so this is where I ask: did we cover everything? Did we miss anything? <laughs> you could do a whole, um, you could do a whole podcast just on the weird band dynamic, I think. <laughs> yeah, I think so too. I usually try and come up with the top five, but we're, we were all over the place with our <laughs> scores. Um, so you guys can, can, can say, yeah, this top five sucks or whatever. And I don't, I'm not going to, I'm not going to get my feelings hurt. So number one song based off of average score with an average score of nine is you ain't going nowhere. Um, we had, uh, 100 years from now. That was cause mostly my top score and Wayne second to top score. That was our second with an average score of eight. We had a two way tie for third for Christian life and you're still on my mind. And then we had a two way tie for fifth, which is you don't miss your water and Hickory wind. So a couple of your top songs, um, Brennan, we um we kind of tanked for you, <laughs> and we all agreed on you ain't going nowhere being a great. We all track. we all agreed that on yeah. that. That's about the only one that we all three agreed on. I want to know: uh, were there birds fans that were like, "Screw the birds! I hate the birds!" After they made this record. Good question. I you know I should have gone and looked at, to see how how popular their stuff was afterwards. I mean, let's be honest pretty soon after this record they did make a couple other records but they were out of the zeitgeist in early 70s and um you know people had moved on from the birds and i don't know if it was because of this record or if it was just that kind of movement the laurel canyon movement of that first laurel canyon movement was kind of done i don't know this was their low this was the lowest had the lowest sales of any birds album up to that point. Up to that point, yeah. And now, now where does it stand? You know, um, that's a great question as well. Like in it's, the context of all of history, does it, did it? I would say in the context of of all history, for us people who who love country rock, um, this is revered. This is a revered album. But I don't know. I don't know about the the diehard birds fans i mean if you look at the greatest hits um stuff i think only our top song was on the greatest hits maybe hickory wind was on that were any um were any birds rock fans like um were they converted to country for by this record probably not was it a gateway (laughs) drug for anyone i don't know that's a good question all right. We want to hear from Birds fans. Whoever's listening to this episode, um, chime in on the socials. We want to hear if uh, if you know. So inquiring minds want to know. All right. Um, Brennan, this was a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. Hey, guys. I enjoyed it so much. Thanks for talking to me. Absolutely. So remind our listeners where they can find all the happenings of you. Well, uh, you can... I'm easy to find. Just go to my, my social media or my website, brennanlee.net or Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, 
et cetera. Perfect. And Wayne, I think you would like some of Brandon's merchandise. She has a cool trucker hat on her website that says Merry Christmas, asshole, <laughs> which I think is right up your alley. Hey, so if I can get that on a t-shirt. I'm, I'm in. That, there's a sweatshirt with that on. It's a song that two friends of mine wrote, um, Becky Warren and Noel McKay. And it was sort of a touring hit for me last Christmas. So we made we made ugly Christmas sweaters that say Merry Christmas, asshole. That's great. I, that's what I might get Wayne for his Christmas <laughs> present this year. They're really warm. Excellent. Uh, I couldn't, don't buy it for me, Wayne, because I couldn't wear it down here in Florida. I don't know if I even own a sweatshirt right now. Um, all right. Uh, last question. So we ask all of our, our guests, um, who do you know that I don't know that should come on our podcast to talk about one of their favorite records? Hmm. This is a good question. How about, do you know, um, you know, Charlie Crockett? I don't. Who is Charlie Crockett? Charlie Crockett. He's a great, uh, young singer. He kind of, um, has a foot in a couple of different genres. He's awesome. Um, cool. One of my fa- one of my favorite singers. Kind of does country, does soul. Um, he's from from Texas. Um, and my other my other suggestion would be uh, Yola. Oh, we I love Yola. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's 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 chat offline. We'll make we'll make something happen. Yeah. Cool. All right. So as a reminder, you can find all of our old episodes by going to recordsrevisitedpodcast.com. Of course, we're on the socials as well. Facebook page, Records Revisited Podcast. We're on Twitter, at Podcast Records. Wayne is the man behind the Instagram page. Wayne? Records Revisited Podcast. Pretty simple. You can find all of our episodes on all of the major platforms, Apple Podcasts, CastBox, Stitcher, Spotify, Google, iHeartMedia, wherever you find fine podcasts like this, go subscribe and rate or review us. So thanks for listening. Please go support the arts. I would tell you to go to a live show, but you know the drill on that. So find your favorite musicians, go to their live stream and uh, give them some love on, on the, the live stuff until we can get back out and do it all. Buy a t-shirt of the band, buy a record. You can go visit a record store, but when you do mask up, please do the social distancing thing. We are records revisited and we are out. out.